Thank you all for being here this evening for what I hope is going to be a fascinating conversation and judging by the conversation just before we came in about <laughs> Theresa May's prospects tonight, uh, it will be because um, our four uh, speakers have a wealth of experience in politics and know uh, all about how the game is played in great detail. We all know that women have been seriously underrepresented in Irish politics. If you look at the statistics, 9% of all the TDs elected have been women. 19 out of, I think, it's 202 cabinet ministers now, so that's around 9.5%. But, interesting, I was uh, doing a little bit of research. If you look at the office of Tornista, or uh, pre Vice President of the Executive Council, there have been 25 holders of that office to date, four of whom have been women. So even my maths tells me that's about 16%. So the, percent, the batting average uh, for the office of Tornista is a bit better in general. So I thought we'd, we'd kick off with a few... Just a few brief remarks about the, the Office of Tornista. Um, Mary Harney, does the Office of Tornista matter? I mean, does it make that much difference to hold it in terms of, of uh, a minister's clout within government? Yes. Um, obviously, it's a constitutional role, but the Constitution doesn't give the Tornista any powers except to represent the Taoiseach in the absence of the Taoiseach. But I think if you're the leader of uh, the smaller party in a coalition in particular, uh, and, and I'd be interested in Mary and Francis's comments because they weren't in that position. Mm. You're involved in all the cabinet subcommittees, all memoranda to government, certainly in my experience when I was there, have to go to you for your comments at an early stage. Um, so you're very involved in the whole government outside your own department. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And to a large extent, it's what you make it. I think Dick Spring in my lifetime was the person that made the most of it. Um, you got a lot of criticism for it as well, didn't well, you? Well, I, I would admire what he did. He was the leader of his party and he sought through the office of Taunashta to make sure that the policies of the Labour Party were reflected in the government he led. Um, and to a large extent, I think it depends on the personality of the individual and how they've come about being Taunashta. Sometimes in the past, it was, people, it, it was a badge of honour to somebody that had served a long time in a political party, particularly when you had single-party government. In more recent years, I think the Taoiseach has been more mindful of a better balance. Uh, in terms of women and men and obviously in a coalition government it, it is virtually automatic that the leader mm. of the smaller party uh, would be Taunashta and with that comes a lot of clout because the government can't stay together without the support of the smaller party. And Mary Coughlin, um, you obviously had a different experience yes. because you were Fianna Fáil, uh, but you were deputy leader of Fianna Fáil as well. I was deputy leader, yeah. yes. So, and I mean, did you have a similar experience that it does give you an extra bit of clout? I think it does. I, I would certainly agree with what Mary has said about its role. Um, and, and you certainly had to make the effort to work within the role. You, yes, you deputised on behalf of the Taoiseach, and internationally you were probably recognised more so uh, in, that, in that role as opposed to here. However, I would have found myself interacting on behalf of the party with the Taoiseach on many issues because I was deputy leader. Um, people would come to the Taunashtia as opposed to going to the Taoiseach on, on occasion. Uh, I did work in a coalition government, so therefore I would have worked very closely with uh, the Green Party particularly, uh, and even working with Mary when I was there. Um, you know, so that role was also hugely important, but I think it is a very important role. Um, it has different needs depending on whether you're in a single party government or you're in a coalition. Um, you're also in the Council of State, so you know, it is a recognised role, it's hugely important. Uh, and. Um, it, certainly it's there in the context of supporting a Taoiseach as well. Mm. And Joan, you had the experience of serving the first, 
half of your time as, as minister, just as a minister, and then the second half as tourist as well. Do you think it, it uh, I mean, does it help you win arguments about protecting budgets or pushing legislation through or anything like that, to have the, the extra stripe? Yeah, I think there's always, let's say, uh, particularly when you have a major party and a minority party in a coalition government, as say would have been the case with both Mary and myself, uh, let's say there's a lot of creative tension uh, that at times uh, <laughs> passes into really intense argument. For instance, um, the Taoiseach always came to my office uh, sometime around 8 o'clock on a Tuesday morning uh, before the cabinet was due to start any time between 10 and 11. If it started much later than that, generally that's an indication there's either a very intense discussion or maybe a bit of a big row going on. Uh, so cabinet watchers know this stuff. Uh, there's a Thonishta's office, uh, which was the old office of, the, of, of De Valera mm -hmm. on the ministerial cor uh, corridor. Uh, so it's actually uh, quite a nice office. And um, I think Mary, though, when she became Thonishta, initially dismantled uh, the office because there'd been a lot of controversy about it. But essentially, the Thonishta has to see every paper mm. that's going to go before Cabinet. And usually, in the average Cabinet meeting, there's anywhere between 30 and 50 papers, of which maybe 10 are very significant. Some of them are routine, the permission of the President to leave the country mm. and so on. But others are really major items. And, um, you know, a couple of the items that, uh, say, myself and Anda would have thrashed out at various times. An actual date uh, for the marriage equality referendum, I was not going to uh, let go till I got a date, uh, which we broadly indicated when we discussed it. And then clearly the budget, because behind the budget was the whole issue of uh, both employment in Ireland and the ending of austerity in Ireland. I, I came in in 2014. So for the 2015 budget, uh, really we had moved beyond the austerity uh, uh, phase and I wanted that manifested uh, on behalf of the Labour Party. For example, small things like uh, the return of the Christmas bonus uh, to people like pensioners. So uh, that took a an amount of conversation, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely piece of understatement there. Uh, Francis, one of the things the Tornish does generally is uh, deputise for the Taoiseach and leaders' questions on Thursday. And people that don't watch the doll closely will still have seen leaders' questions and still have seen uh, people in action at them. It always strikes me as quite a nerve-wracking experience because you've no idea what they're going to raise. That's right, leader. yes. I mean, it's, uh, there's a lot more responsibility with the, you know, the position, uh, definitely. Um, the one thing about it that's, I think, very striking and, you know, it's quite a privilege is that you have an overview across all government departments, mm. all policies. Um, you have to know them because if you're doing the leader's questions, which you do every Thursday, um, there's really a huge amount of preparation. And uh, it, it doesn't change. I think everybody prepares an awful lot for that. You're, you're reading the briefs from the different departments. You're building relationships. You're talking to the other ministers. You're getting the update because, you know, you could think you're prepared for it. And suddenly on you know, the media that morning, there's a whole new issue. And you're sort of saying, well, you know, it could be farming. It could be fisheries. It could be areas, if you're a minister, you know, it could have been, for me, it could have been justice or children. There'd be areas you'd know very well. Um, but there's a lot of work uh, in it, and uh, as I say, a lot of um, a lot of discussion. Very busy on Thursday mornings, uh, talking to to colleagues, uh, updating yourself on, on on different portfolios. 
and of course the scramble to go through the notes to try and see <laughs> is this actually covered in the material I have and racking your brain for what you actually know about some topic that uh, isn't isn't covered but it's um, yeah it's, it's a lot of work I think the role is is definitely different depending on whether you're you know a, a, yeah. sort of a junior partner or the same government um, my experience certainly internationally um, deputy prime minister has a has a, a ring to it internationally um, very much recognized and a great privilege you know to represent the Taoiseach at the various international fora and uh, you know tremendous opportunity uh, to to contribute and to meet world leaders and that's such a privilege um, I think in terms of the material that you get the night before there's a lot of work in it um, you do I, I do think you you have obviously you have greater access I think you have greater influence um, you know in terms of uh, getting items on the cabinet uh, agenda certainly it very doesn't hurt <laughs> it doesn't hurt Excellent. so I mean I think there's a there's a yeah. there's a lot that goes with the job and uh, I think it's a job in many ways, and you'd have the historical perspective on that. But I think people are getting, you know, kind of more and more aware of it as a as a particular role. Well, so one of the questions that miraculously I, I can actually read on the on the iPad is: um, in secondary schools, the role of vice principal is often considered to be more important than principal. Is this similar for Tarnishton? <laughs> yes. I don't know. What do you think, Mary Harley? Well, I remember once being in a school in my constituency in Sagard, which is now in France's constituency, and. Uh, the teacher had prepared a class of 10-year-olds, I think, for my arrival, and they were asked, what, does, what, what is Mary Harney? She's the Taunista. What does the Taunista do? She's the Taoiseach's wife. Was the <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> uh, and then they were on to say Bertie O'Hearn. Dubliners called him O'Hearn. So uh, that was an interesting definition of the role. <laughs> um. <laughs> Okay, well, let's talk about a little bit about the absence of women uh, in the doll. I mean, we, progress has been made at, in 2016. 22.2% .2 of TDs were women, and the 0.2% is important because the International Parliamentary Union ranks countries by percentage, and that 22.2 puts us in joint 80th place with Venezuela. That's out of 193 member states. We're just behind the United Arab Emirates. But we're just marginally ahead of Lesotho, so that's got to be good. Um, that's not great, is it, Mary Coughlin? No, it's not. Um, I suppose the the way I look at it is the why is it that women aren't putting their names forward? In, in a party context, oftentimes women find it very difficult to get selected. Mm. Now that we have gender quotas, I think that has helped, whereby at least there is a view accepted that there should be at least a woman on mm. now, at least a woman. Now, it doesn't mean it couldn't be all women either, for that matter. But all of that being said, it makes people make an effort to support, to ask. Um, I always was of the view that a lot of women are inhibited by public office. They're inhibited by public speaking. They perhaps don't believe in themselves as much as their male colleagues. Uh, and then if they're overly so, then that's women for you again, type <laughs> attitude might come across. Yeah. So it's getting the balance. One thing that I would see, we're speaking a lot about the, the doll and the, and, and the Senate, probably more women in the Senate than the doll. My concern is if we don't have women in local government, you certainly won't see people moving on yeah. as much. And right. I think it's getting women to move from huge contributions they make locally, at community, at all sorts of... Um, 
issues that have, have a small p attached to them, getting them to take that perspective and believe in themselves that they have the capacity. So we do need to look at local government so that we can equally encourage that yeah. to, to, to reflect itself in the House. But when you hear of those statistics, they're not great now. And no. um, Joan, does the absence of women make a difference? I mean, the Taoiseach was talking the other day, as a society, we are weaker when we exclude women's voices. And I think most people would probably agree with that. But does it actually make a difference uh, that women, women's voices aren't included? Or to put it another way, would governments make different decisions if the gender balance was more equal? Um, I, I think it makes a huge difference that women are around the table. In the uh, government uh, that uh, Francis and I were members of in 2011, there were two women cabinet ministers around the table out of uh, 15 plus a uh, number of uh, super juniors at the cabinet table and uh, then uh, the first ever woman attorney general. So that was about, uh, th that was three women uh, 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 as compared when you added in the cabinet secretary and so on uh, to uh, about uh, 17, uh, 16, 17 men. So it was a very, very male atmosphere. And I mean, we actually tic-tacked quite a lot on issues that were of, let's say, particular interest. Most of the men, for instance, had never really heard of anything like a Magdalene Laundry. It was a bit of a revelation to them. A lot of them hadn't heard too much about a lot of uh, things like gender equity, gender parity, but they were willing to learn. And I do remember at a certain stage when a uh, maternity, a new plan for the maternity services uh, was brought forward, uh, by Leo Vradker when he was uh, Minister for Health. Suddenly there was a lot of conversation from the men around the table about, you know, Simon's two girls, Alan Kelly's, uh, you know, little boy and girl. And people started to chip in, in a way that uh, just really uh, ha has, has not uh, been the norm because cabinets are very cut and dried. Uh, the only person who could really talk at great length, and I can talk, but the person who really <laughs> held the, cham the champion uh, gold cup, uh, I think, was Alan Shatter. There were times when, you know, he spoke for, what, 15, 20 minutes? And we listened. Uh, but, uh, but you see, these, these are experiences women need to have because unless you, uh, you know, are there, you can say uh, it, it's different once women are there because the conversation is wider and broader. And uh, that's very important uh, from, uh, you know, fr from the perspective of all women. I, I just think it really does change the conversation and it puts items on the agenda. For instance, I suspect the children's referendum, which was one of the things um, that Francis in particular would have been involved in. I'm not sure uh, that might have happened in uh, pretty much uh, an all-male cabinet. Uh, Francis, I, I was reading uh, my colleague Martina Fitzgerald's book, Madam Politician. Uh, she interviewed all of you as well as the other uh, surviving women who've served a cabinet. And, and you were talking about the need for critical mass of yes. women because for in earlier years there might have been yeah. one woman at the cabinet table yes. it's important to have more yeah. I, I mean I think the first thing I'd want to say it is a dismal failure and we really do have to consider very carefully why we have done so poorly in relation to you quote all the other parliaments mm. it's a very serious issue you've had 78 percent of men right now complete overrepresentation, really compared to the population uh, you don't even have the gender diversity you know there's lots of other diversities we could talk mm. about mm. and does it make a difference the research shows that the 
the topics, for example, that are discussed, when you have more women involved, the topics actually change. And there's, a, there's evidence from Norway and Sweden. You will get more of a focus, for example, on social issues as well. It sounds a little bit stereotyped, but I think it's really important. Uh, and I think very often we've had an over-focus on economic as opposed to that mix of you know, social and economic. I was in a cabinet that had two women, three women, uh, four, um, and you had in the Attorney General as well, you add one to each of those numbers. And it does make a difference. I think we all know if you're in a room and there's, you know, 80% male, 90% male, 10% uh, female, if it's the opposite. There's a different tone, there's a different quality. I found men in cabinet are quite hierarchical, actually, in their approach, which is interesting. I think women often call the elephant in the room uh, in cabinet and in other places a bit more process-driven, uh, as opposed to sort of hier hierarchical, cut-and-dried uh, decisions. And very often you do need to get the best thinking of people around the table. Mm. And that is something that I think uh, my experience has been, uh, that women are better at that. Um, and also, I think you do have to uh, claim your territory uh, quite a lot as a woman. I think there's a, there often is a sort of an automatic deference uh, to, to the men when you don't have critical mass. And I think, you know, it's just a fact that you, you get better decisions if you have that balance. And it's different if you don't have it. And it's to the detriment of our democracy. And we have very rarely talked about the overrepresentation of men in so many arenas. Quite a contrast as well, I suppose, particularly in the Dáil, to what's happening in relation to women in society generally. You know, the changing role, <coughs> the numbers of women in, in the uh, professions. But the decision-making bodies, so often, we have to struggle very hard in Ireland to make sure uh, that women are in those positions. Now, they, they say it's uh, cash, culture, um, confidence, uh, childcare, and conventions uh, when it comes to politics. Interestingly, when I was Minister for Business, people, um, when they examine the role of, say, female entrepreneurs, they say that the same five issues also uh, impact in terms of women yeah. progressing in, in business. Yeah. We'll talk about gender quotas in a minute, but Mary Harney, that, that first one, the five C's that Francis alluded to, <coughs> the confidence. Um, now, most politicians I know are not short of self-confidence, <laughs> uh, irrespective of their gender. But um, Mary, Cockton was, was referring to, to women involved in communities and sort of small p uh, political activity. How do you get, how do you persuade women that to think of themselves, which is the first step, to think of themselves as potential candidates? Well, part of it is the confidence and part of it is culture. I see Liz O'Donnell here in the second row, and I remember throwing my BDI, as she called it, on her at a conference in <laughs> Trinity. I remember. Um, a, a conference on the environment, actually, and I remember saying to her, you'd be great in politics, would you be interested? And her immediate reaction was, I don't think I know anything about politics, and she turned out to be a very formidable politician. So there are lots of people, and you just need to um, identify them, and nurture them and coach them and just help them along, give them the opportunity. Now, it's easier in a, in a party that had many greenfield sites, unlike bigger parties where there isn't as much space. I accept that. <laughs> Michael McDougall once said at the Progressive Democrats, we probably needed a quota for men. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I, I think um, Mary Cochran is right um, that, that local government is where it begins to a large extent. But the one change I would say since I went into Leinster when I went into Leinster House in 1977 to the Senate, virtually all of the women in the Dáil at that occasion were there by virtue of the connection to a former male holder of the office. The widow was a very popular uh, choice. Mm. What's changed over the years is that 
virtually every woman in the doll today and in recent years is there because they're formidable and in their own right. Mm. And that's a big plus, even if the numbers are small. But I think uh, the confidence and the culture, definitely. If you look at business, business will say that if you have women on boards, mm. particularly a critical mass of women, it's good for the bottom line and it's good for shareholder value. And equally, I believe it's good for decision making mm. if you have the female perspective. Women, in my experience, are less political, believe it or not. They're not into the, the game of politics. Uh, they're more into building consensus. They're more pragmatic very often. And I know, Liz, you've spoken about the role of the Women's Coalition in Northern Ireland mm. and the really positive influence that they had, and yet they were rubbished by many of the traditional parties as not knowing what they were about. They were allegedly naive, mm. but they were really about the peace building and mm. let's look at the problem and find a solution rather than um, be part of the tribe uh, that never wants to move forward. Mm. They'd be in trouble here, though, because they wouldn't get funding because they'd breach the gender uh, guidelines. <laughs> Actually, uh, before we talk about gender quotas, I should mention none of the four former tonnages here are here because of gender quotas, but I'm here because of a gender quota because the Academy has a, has a, uh, a policy not to have a, a single gender on, on panels, so I'm the uh, gender quota. I'm the token <laughs> bloke. Uh, I'm delighted to be so. Um, Mary Coughlin, um, I, I know you change your views on, on, on quotas, having seen them in work. Should there be quotas for cabinet? Probably, um, if you're going to do exactly what you want to achieve. Um, cabinets are very difficult. I, I was just thinking about the last question. The other thing that I thought in my experience of cabinet has been the role of the person who chaired the cabinet, who was the Taoiseach. Mm. And the support that you get around the table, if you have the Taoiseach support and how they chair and how they involve your view, I think is equally important. Uh, and I was just laughing, I remember I was, not that long a cabinet minister and I was having a very difficult time with the Minister for Finance at the time and the first person I went to was the Tanisha and I went to see Mary and I said what is your advice what do you think I should do because I would have actually viewed that position and role as hugely influential and important um, you did save me that day, I must admit. <laughs> but Thank you. I, I, my, my experience had been working with two people who took a decision to appoint me. I would have to say that Brian Crown's role was superb in the context of a very difficult time in Cabinet where everyone had their say and everyone was very much involved in what was going on. I think that, that did help. Mm. Whether we need more women in cabinet, I absolutely agree. I hate this idea that just because you're a woman, you should be in such and such a department or that you have a view or a perspective on something. I think we need to have a, a, a woman who's going to be Minister for Finance. I think that will help. Will we have a woman Taoiseach? Yes, we will. When? I'm not sure. But I certainly feel that in order to have that disparate view, hmm. um, there should be... Um, a number of women. There's also young people need to be involved. That is happening and changing. Uh, and uh, I'll be the one to say it in geography. <laughs> because it has swung the wrong way now in my personal view. Yeah. It's very one part of the world over the other. Okay. And I think that will lose a mix of, of view and perspective. So as there's well. a lot of factors that have to go into making yeah. a choice for cabinet. Yeah. Um, just, I'm interested on that uh, issue about um, the types of departments that women tend to get Joan Burton and I'm looking at you now and you can guess what's coming next because you were in 2011 were appointed to the Department of Social Protection. It was no secret that you wanted and probably expected to be appointed to 
finance or uh, public expenditure. Um, do you think that was all about gender? Um, I do. I think there was a large element of that. I think at the time and still, the Department of Finance and uh, DPER, uh, both of them are intensely male. If you look at the statistics, I don't think there's been a full woman general secretary of either department. There have been deputy and second secretary generals, you know, which are pretty much the top echelon of the civil service. So it's an intensely male department. And um, to make it even worse, in the uh, early stages of the, of the 2011 government, First of all, obviously the country was on its knees. Uh, in a certain sense, it was a national government really trying for a national restoration. So I think everybody in that government um, was really conscious that, look, we're trying to just get the country back together again, get people back to work and so on. So it, it was a bit of a kind of a wartime style government. Uh, so, th so that put an extra pressure. I'd say the end of the Fianna Fáil government was a little bit the same. Um, and um, what, what, what would have happened there was that um, there was a, a structure called the Economic Management Council. Mm. Um, uh, there were problems with that. The key problem was that the people in the big spending departments like social protection uh, and uh, health and education, they weren't included in the conversation. So uh, if you like, uh, the four men who constituted the Economic Management Council arrived in with a lot of decisions agreed. Now, you can say there's a certain, in a crisis, there's a certain value in saying, listen, you have to cut to the chase, you have to make a decision. And to be successful in a cabinet, whether you're a man or a woman, you have to take decisions. You can't sideline them forever. That's the critical thing about a cabinet. Decisions must be made, minor decisions, major decisions. Um, but, you know, certainly as somebody, um, I'm not an economist, I'm an accountant by background, but I'd read a fair bit about economics and all the commentary on uh, you know, economic management committees said, don't leave out detailed considerations of the social impact and the employment impact. And I certainly thought that's, that was from places like Canada and uh, from the Netherlands who had had uh, you know, parallel things. So I think there was a lot of shock uh, when um, you know, I wasn't made Minister for Finance. There, there has never been a woman Minister for Finance. There's never been a woman Minister for Foreign Affairs, never been a woman Minister uh, for, de for Defence. So there's actually quite a lot of jobs in cabinet government that women haven't yet occupied. And when they do, they tend to populate what people often see as the social areas. It's not that they're not absolutely critically important. Um, I mean, I took a crude view. Well, if I'm not the Minister for Finance, I am the Minister responsible for the biggest spending department and also uh, for the whole issue around unemployment, which was the really devastating social issue at the time. Mm. Um, but, um, uh, you know, I know other people felt very hurt. I know Eamon Gilmore felt very hurt that anybody would think that a decision he made had anything to do with gender. And, um, you know, we all get insights into what people 
think at different times. Um, so, it, you know, that's the key reason why you do need women in sufficient numbers in institutions, because if they're not there, you're relying on the men, as it were, to represent them. Mm. And they mightn't <coughs> have the insights mm. to be able to do that fully. Uh, Francis, looking at the portfolios that you occupied, I mean, obviously, first of all, you're in children and youth affairs, and you had a big job to do with the, the children's rights referendum. Then you're in justice, uh, which women have occupied before, but it's a pretty tough portfolio, and then in business. So there's kind of a good mix there. You had an economic one, a very tough one in justice, and what could be seen as a kind of a caring portfolio yes. as well. I, I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, each of those portfolios. Mm. And, uh, you know, sometimes the tougher they are. I mean, I still got 27 pieces of legislation through the door when I was uh, Minister for Justice. And mm. it was very, very satisfying in so many ways, very challenging as well. Uh, but the question you asked was about, you know, should there be a quota for cabinet. I, I think I said recently to Martina, I didn't think so. I'm, I'm kind of revising that as I go <laughs> along and thinking, you know, maybe, um, actually, I think it's, it's, I'm beginning to think it's an absolute imperative to have 50% of women uh, the next time. Uh, and hopefully the numbers elected to the Dáil will, will, be, uh, will be higher, so there'll be you know, more women in there to begin with. Um, but I just think the decisions are so important. There's increasing realisation, obviously, that you need the mix and the different uh, experiences that women and men bring. I do think there traditionally has been a, quite a bit of unconscious bias. I, I think you can never underestimate unconscious bias uh, in relation uh, to women. And it's something to call out, and we mm. need to call it out more than we do. I think as well, there's the very natural uh, male networking uh, that impacts and influences, and um, traditionally has been stronger than female networking, and women have, you know, have not been part of that. So when it comes to making decisions about jobs, there's a sort of a, a natural tendency to go towards, towards the men. And I think increasingly uh, politicians in senior roles are going to have greater awareness about that. I think they will, because I think the public will demand it. Um, but I wouldn't be complacent about it. And neither I would, be would I be complacent about the numbers of women in the doll uh, increasing uh, very dramatically. Really? I mean, I, I wouldn't, because it's, it's so competitive, people who have seats already. I mean, <coughs> all of these people who've got involved in NGO campaigns recently, who are very politicised, who are very interested, but to get a winnable seat is a very difficult thing. Mm. And, and uh, there's lots of women who will run in non-winnable seats, but to actually run, and particularly in the bigger parties, you know, to have the opportunity to run yeah. in a winnable seat uh, can be quite difficult. And you need greater consciousness, uh, uh, you know, obviously amongst the voters as well, if you want to see more women. Yeah. But I, I do want to say, I remember when uh, Mary Harney uh, put her BDI on Liz O'Donnell. I was at that, uh, that um, uh, dinner, and there's an interesting point about it, that um, we had had a conference on the environment that day, and Mary, I remember her actually saying to Liz, and it kind of makes the point about mentoring and about, you know, reaching out. And again, I think we need to uh, develop more mentoring mechanisms because there's a lot to learn. I knew very little about politics mm. when I went in and you sort of learn the hard way. And I always say my first election was the easiest because I got elected after three weeks of campaigning. <laughs> now, it was well known publicly and sort of went downhill after that and then it went up and then it went down again. Mm. So, you know, it's, um, you do need to, to learn the business of politics and it's a, it's a very specific business. You know, mm. there's a lot to learn about it and a lot of women just 
by the nature of not being in there, won't have that experience. And there's a, there's a, a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot to be learned and it's a tough mm. business. Mm, absolutely. Um, w w one of the questions, uh, what are the key changes that you've seen for women in the Oireachtas during your career? Mary, as you said, you uh, started in the Oireachtas as a senator, mm. a very young senator in 1977. Um, facilities were not probably what they are now. Well, I did tell Martina Fitzgerald that I remember well. I don't think anybody else was here there then. There was a, woman, a room called the ladies' room. It was as you, before you went up the big stairs up into the chamber, it was just in there to the left. It was a tiny room. It had a couch and it had a little wash hand basin and two or three chairs and a telephone. And I always remember Kitty Hearn used to be in there, Eileen Namas, Joan Burke, because women would never go to the bar. Hmm. Um, because that was seen for, that was the place for the men because there was only the restaurant, this little room or the bar and you didn't have your own office then, you shared with three or four or five and you shared a secretary, you had, you know, you had two hours with your secretary once a week to give her the dictation. So it was a very different environment. Um, and, you know, even over the years I've noticed men are not accustomed sometimes to being in the company of women professionally, hmm. certainly in my early days. So there'd be language, and then they'd be saying, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They'd be constantly apologising for their language. Mm. Uh, that's you start it. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so... It's written on me. Mary Cox had brought that to an end. <laughs> but um, I, I, all of that has changed. I think um, professional men in politics are more accustomed now to working with and dealing with women, uh, and I think that's a very good thing. One thing that I think would really change... Um, the image of politics if we had a woman Cian Corla. Mm. The Cian Corla is very visible on TV. Mm. Um, I would love in the next doll, I mean, I'd, I think we'd have a woman Taoiseach in my lifetime, but I'd love to see a woman Cian Corla, Joan or Francis or whoever, in the next doll, because <laughs> I think it would be very impactful, actually. Yeah. Just before I move on, uh, is it true that P. Flynn made you go into the department by a different door when you were his junior minister? Yes. Was that because you were a woman or because you were a PD, and in well, his eyes, which was worse? <laughs> well, he regarded that Peter Fall entering a coalition as a fate worse than death, and um, the Custom House is quite a big place, and the minister's cor corridor was faces Liberty Hall, that side of it. And I was put right down the far end, <laughs> literally as far away as possible. <laughs> Terry Prode had an office beside the minister, and I was down. I actually didn't. <laughs> I actually didn't care where I was. I was so pleased to be there. Yeah. Um, but yes, he did. We had a very. That was a very difficult time. That very, because you see, a, a junior minister um, relies on the senior minister to bring the memoranda to the government. So I remember the, the smoky coal ban was sitting on his desk for, I don't know, two months, three months. Eventually, Charlie Hawhey sorted it out, actually, and I've always given him credit for that mm. because I didn't realise it hadn't gone to the Cabinet. I was wondering, why aren't we making the decision? What's the problem? Yeah. Um, <coughs> so a, a good relationship. I always think any senior minister that's worried about their junior minister shouldn't be in the job, quite honestly, mm. because you have the clout, you have the responsibility, and in recent years, there's been delegated powers to ministers of state, and that's been fantastic. Yeah. And many of them have made a huge impact. Yeah. And I think that's a very good thing because government departments are enormous. There's plenty for everybody to do without sort of pushing somebody literally almost out of the building. But anyway, <laughs> I survived it. I survived it. Uh, Mary Cockton, I mean, have you, have you seen, or during your time in politics, did you see a change in attitudes to women, a change in the facilities? I think you, you spoke to Martine as well about the facilities for women being yes, chronic. Yes, things, things, things did change. Um, I'm just remembering now that... Um, 
I remember going down the corridor of the Department of Social Welfare, as it was known, <laughs> and I met a young fellow, and he was changing the the the. Um, the name on the toilets opposite the minister's office because it would have been man before that and I just got him I just caught him changing the thing because the minister's toilet was at least close to the office otherwise <laughs> I'd have been like Mary Harney would have had to go to Liberty Hall <laughs> there have been changes a lot of it is due about the fact as well that the men have changed that are elected a lot of them are much younger a lot of them have families a lot of them have a different perspective um, and yes. you know that that has helped like, I went into the doll. I had just left UCD. Mm. Um, I was 21 years of age. Most of the members of my party, I was in the same class as their kids. So a lot of them would have looked at me as if I was one of their children. Like, that would have been difficult in itself mm. for them. Charlie Hoy was the Taoiseach. Like, it was just a, And you were very young when you went into politics. So. That for me was actually more difficult being so young as opposed to being a woman. Um, but certainly I would have to say that things have changed, attitudes have changed. Now that has changed because society has changed. Mm. Um, and, and certainly um, the respect is there without a doubt. And behaviour that would have been there heretofore is no longer acceptable in society, not to mention in the house, mm. and therefore there has been that 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 huge change. Yeah, and um, Joan, do you think women are treated differently? Because I, I sometimes think when I'm looking at uh, either in the press gallery or looking at it on telly, uh, you know, during the order of business, during uh, leaders' questions, if a woman is speaking, the level of barracking from whatever the opposition or, or the government benches is much higher. And I, I see the same on social media. My female colleagues in RTE get a terrible time on social media, much more than I would ever get. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, do you find that? Uh, yeah, but I was going to say my first experience of being a Minister of State was also in the Department of Social Protection with a very, very nice Fianna Fáil politician called Michael Woods, who was also deeply, deeply conservative. And uh, he used to rub his temples any time I came in to have a chat with him. And then I noticed over a period of time, lots and lots of officials, some with him and some with me, came into this big long yeah. uh, uh, board table where the management uh, meetings were held and also attended the management meetings. And then uh, one day somebody said to me, you know, these meetings are so exciting between the two of you, we could nearly sell tickets. <laughs> and um, I, I, I had a slightly similar experience. I, I never told Frances about this when she was going to justice, but uh, just, justice's management uh, committee meetings, there were people, you know, who were very senior officials. And uh, in some cases, I don't think they'd actually directly spoken to each other for years. And I do remember at one stage meeting a very important delegation of Gardaí uh, because I had uh, queried some element of a script that they had sent over. And um, obviously, like Mary, uh, I'm very tall. And uh, the guards came in in all their uniforms and everything like that and their caps and put them to one side. And then they said, you're very tall. Did you never think of becoming a guy? <laughs> <laughs> to put me off my ease. And uh, my then advisor, a woman called Dita Mangan, who's 
<laughs> very well known. The two of us just, we, we held it together. But uh, after a while, we just went outside and just laughed and laughed. Anyway, it, it, you know, there is a thing that there's a certain kind of man who might actually be very nice to women, but is completely threatened uh, by a woman as, as, as an equal, and uh, feels, you know, need to find out, like, what exactly are you doing down there? <laughs> you know, you just get yeah. that feeling that they're, they're standing over you. Um, but, you know, coming back to nowadays, uh, it, it is much better, uh, but, uh, you just have to keep pushing and pushing. And um, I think the key thing is that men, you know, Kathleen Lynch, a colleague of mine, always said, I've never had to, I've never, I, I've never voted for an average woman. But uh, that doesn't matter when it comes to voting for men. You know, you, we have a bit of a cult of exceptionalism among women. And in fact, you know, if you look at the justice area, a few years ago, we had a woman chief justice, a woman minister, a woman guard the commissioner, a uh, woman DPP, and so on. And then suddenly, through a variety of circumstances and retirements and so on, uh, that all changed. So. In fact, you know, you do, I think, need to keep your eye on it. Um, certainly coming into the next uh, Doyle, I would like the Taoiseach and the contenders for Taoiseach to actually say, I will have a minimum of 40% uh, gender mix mm. in, in the cabinet. And what you were saying there about social media, uh, like obviously I had a particular experience mm. in and around uh, Jobstown and I, I would still hold that would not have happened to two men in a car uh, in the same way mm. and uh, the social media stuff on that uh, was really vile. Um, there were complaints made all the time to the different platforms, different companies. It was just absolutely vile. Subsequently though I chaired a meeting in the UN and there were women from all over the world at um, a special kind of working session of women involved in politics. And to be honest, it was in and around uh, the, the uh, time of, of Jobstown. And they, you know, women in Islamic countries, just the same kind of experience, the shaming, the naming, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the kind of finding as well, the things to say from, you know, I know in my own case, I got threats of acid attacks, that that's the only thing that would be good for me and fix my face and uh, so on. People be waiting in the side of my garden and so on when I came in at night Oof. and we know where you live and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, in the end, I handed my phone as regards social media to other people. Now, they told me if there was anything uh, yeah. really bad and they complained about it. But it is quite horrific, and uh, all I can say is it must be even worse for teenagers. Mm. Uh, you know, yeah. because like politicians are tough. You have to be tough to be involved in politics. Uh, but for when I think of teenagers, might get that same you know wall of both rubbish and hate. Mm. Um, it certainly is something to you know. You need to make people resilient around it. Yeah, um, interesting you say that about you know the international experience because looking at something from there was a Women MPs of the World conference in Westminster. I don't know whether any of you read it, but they heard that almost all the women politicians attending faced opposition to their participation in public life, online abuse, threats, overt discrimination, not being called to speak, appearance being criticised, sexual harassment, and Francis, I think that's. 
Probably, probably sound familiar to any woman politician here, would it? Yes, it would, and I think it varies. I, I have seen change. I mean, the Dáil is a different place now, and I went in in 92 first, and it was a much more sexist place. There's, there's absolutely no doubt about that. I mean, there was almost overt, I think, sexual harassment, except it wasn't called that. There's a bit of the Me Too around it, you know. I mean, there, mm. there definitely uh, was. I think that's really changed completely almost completely. There's going to be a study now to see what people's current experiences are. But I, I do believe it's a, a change place, uh, as I think it was Mary said, reflecting the changes outside. Mm. I mean, I do think what happened to Joan was horrendous. Mm. And I, I actually, at the time, I don't think it was called out enough. Mm. Uh, now, obviously, there's been court cases and all the rest, but I'm just talking about the particular experiences she had. Mm. Um, really, really horrendous, uh, you know, behaviour towards her and being locked in a car and so mm. on. I mean, I thought that was absolutely dreadful. And, I, you know, I, I don't believe it would have happened well, we, uh, in the same way. It happened to me as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, it happened to Orlando Southwood. Yeah. I remember, I Mary, out. you were away at something and somebody threw paint on your coat. Do you That's remember right. that? I wasn't a man. No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <laughs> But, but I mean, I, you yeah. know, I, I do think that's, that is, we, we just have to call it more and, and be aware of it and, uh, you know, work on it. And I, I do agree that, you know, the next time we, we do need a, a commitment to a certainly a minimum uh, number of uh, women in, in cabinet. Okay, I'm going to wrap up fairly shortly, but I, I'm, somebody was mentioning exceptionalism, was Joan mentioning exceptionalism, women have to be exceptional to get to the same place that a fairly mediocre bloke could get to. <laughs> Look at me. Of <laughs> course, uh, um, I'm, I'm reminded of Ginger Rogers, I, I did everything Fred Astaire did yes, except backwards and in high heels. Yes. Um, yes, <laughs> Mary Harney, I mean, do women have to be better to get on in politics? I think they have to be very confident and very resilient. Look what's happening across the water. <laughs> um, you have to have a lot of stamina. A lot of women don't like politics. They don't like what they see and what they understand politics represents. And very often the biggest critics of women in politics are other women. Mm. including women journalists. Mm. Um, I mean, I thankfully have got out before the social media really yeah. took root. Uh, I just, it's not just women in politics, it's women in, in the media mm. um, seem to get a dreadful time. And there are not many women that would be prepared to put themselves up for that kind of public ridicule. And it Im impacts in particular, I think, on the families of politicians. Um, very few children now of politicians, I understand, mm. are interested in going into politics. Mm. Um, I met somebody recently and I had heard that one of his children was going into politics and he said, you must be mad, he wouldn't touch it. Um, and that's because they've, they've seen the experience of their father or their mother or their sister or brother, whatever it might be. Mm. Uh, and I think that's a great pity. Um, and the sad thing is that the social media is unregulated. It's anonymous. Mm. You can say what you like about people. And, you know, my mother used to say there's no smoke without fire, but unfortunately there is... Lots of stuff said on social media about people that's completely untrue yeah. and they have very little opportunity to vindicate it. But women need to be, I think for women to get to the same place as men, not just in politics, uh, in business, in the professions, they have to have that little extra. Mm. Um, you know, they really do, on, in, in my experience. Mm. Um, like I was an accidental politician, I was appointed to the Senate. I never set out to be a politician because in 1977, if you didn't come from a political family, it just wouldn't have been on the, the radar. Um, and I, I, at the time, they were looking for somebody young and somebody that uh, was female. So if that hadn't happened, I don't know if I'd ever have mm. actually gone about the, the way you have to get yourself selected and elected. Mm. And in fact, when I was selected to run for the Dáil 
1981. In fact, for the county council in 1979, I was considered, um, what do they call the, can the um, what do you call it, candidates not supposed to be elected? Sweeper. A sweeper. sweeper. I was put on as a sweeper because I came from Newcastle, Rathcool, and I wasn't supposed to get elected. So um, that was the way it was then. And thankfully, I think a lot of it has and changed. Did, your, but did, did one of your running mates have a, a very interesting idea for how to get publicity? Well, that was in 1977, around Dublin East, and my running mate, Peter Leo Gibson, um, proposed to me. He thought it would be a good idea if we got engaged. <laughs> <laughs> As a publicity stunt. <laughs> um, anyway, you did read Martina's I book, did, obviously. I did, I did. Um, yes. Just before I bring the rest of the panellists in for a final word, is there anybody who has a question or a comment from the audience? Yeah, <coughs> sorry, there's somebody over there. Uh, we all like the idea of more female politicians, more female in cabinet, a future female tarnished. And I appreciate the thought that maybe they're going to come from local government. I had occasion to be at a meeting of Galway City Council last May and I've just counted the men actually because I have a picture of them all in their gowns and there's 17 men and two women at it and they're men of a, of a, of a certain age mm. um, and I'm just wondering if maybe it is local government we're going to get candidates from but not from my own personal experience they're not coming out of Galway I wouldn't have thought so mm. I, I'm just wondering where are we going to well, get Galway this? Galway actually has two female TDs. Has two fe yeah. two not And Claire Conley. And Hildegard, yeah. I mean, I think there are different routes into politics. Mm. I, I never, like Mary, no, I never can. set out, you know, to be a politician. I was a social worker for 20 years. I didn't come from a, a political family. It, it kind of grew out of my experience, and I got the opportunity. Uh, so I didn't come through the local uh, council route, and I don't think that people have to. I think people can come through a, sort of a national route into politics. But I do think we need to have more discussion about the nature of politics, about the kind of politics we do, about adversarial politics. Um, I think, you know, I was at a, an event in my constituency the other night, a woman came up to me, she said, why does anybody go into politics? You know, reflecting on the experiences that you can have in politics. And I, I, they talk more now, we had a discussion recently about more, you know, consensus politics. Uh, and I think we are seeing some of that, but we're also seeing, as we're seeing in the UK, the sort of head on a plate politics. And I've certainly experienced that. So, I mean, there is something about how we do our politics. There's far more reform needed. I think we can do a more constructive politics on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, now, you could say supplying confidences. It maybe reflects a bit of that, but I'm not really speaking about that. I'm talking about these, you know, periodic frenzies and groupthink that we go into. That's very unattractive to people. And in terms of good decision-making for the country, I, I don't think it's um, appealing, particularly uh, to a lot of women, probably men as well. And I, I do, we need to address those kind of issues. But the roots in, the parties obviously need to continue uh, need to do more, continue to do all these positive actions. We need to do that. The mentoring, the seeing where the vacancies are. Um, it was a great idea to have a financial sanction, by the way. We'd never have got the 30% if there hadn't been a financial sanction for the parties. But it does focus the mind if you're going to leave, lose a million euro uh, or, you know, 500,000. Mm. That was very, very smart in the gender quotas and made an absolute difference. Because the big thing was, where are we going to find 30% of women? 
Well, guess what? We did. <laughs> and all of the parties did. So, you know, that was a very good initiative and we'll begin to impact as we go on and women get more experience because that's the other point, David. I mean, as you get more experience as a minister, um, obviously your, your own behaviour changes and your own uh, you, uh, assertiveness. It mm. is quite challenging when you go into that. I remember the first day I went in, you know, the physical structure of it, the, it, it's quite, it can be quite, you know, you say women politicians are very confident. Actually, it can be quite intimidating mm -hmm. as well. And when you go into cabinet, there's a lot to learn. And uh, so I think it's, it's, it's good to see women having the opportunity, you know, to stay in cabinet, get the experience, because every year, I'm sure you look at the experience uh, that you will say both the Marys had very long periods in cabinet, and it does, and lots of men have had very long periods mm. in cabinet. So but it, it, but it does it make a difference. You. you have to, you know, it, it won't necessarily come to you. Um, you. You have to have an idea you have to have a discourse, you have to have an interest. Yeah. And then I very much agree with what Mary said, if you have the mentoring, if you have the support, if you have the people that you can engage with and you accept <coughs> what they say as opposed to thinking you know more than they do, you know, all of that. And it's about encouraging people. Mm. It really, really is. And the younger people now are so more assertive walking you know they're just <laughs> now some of them would you know I, I look I have a girl of 19 and nothing's a bother to her yeah so that will mean she's going to go into politics well not a hope she says she wants to make money so I said right <laughs> <laughs> that'll ease my burden slightly um, but like she would make it she would be a typical politician because she has an interest and she has you have to be a people person yeah. you have Absolutely. to like people and you have to listen to people and you have to appreciate people and you have to be able to to speak with and talk to people who are in poverty and people who are multimillionaires and you must have that in you and it's in you and and it will come to you out of experience and it'll come to you the longer you spend in polit political life. Although now, I think it's going to, people are going to spend less and less time in political life. Yeah. Uh, so they won't have, yeah. say I did an apprenticeship for many years, so did Mary, and we had a long time in political life. That won't necessarily happen now, but you just, you just have to love people. Like I, I was the first woman Minister for Agriculture. Now, that suited me dandy. <laughs> <laughs> And it was a fabulous department to work yeah. in. And it's an economic department. Yeah. It is the one that sustained the crisis. During the crisis, yeah. it was the one part of our economy that had the capacity to, to, to build and develop and be, have, have great uh, foresight. And I, I, do, I do recall, and I know it's just me, I'm just desperate anyway, but I, I do remember one of the incidents that, about being locked in the car I was going down to in board B. And Trevor Sargent was my Minister for State, who was a very holy man, as we now know, because he's, he's now a minister, and very quiet and... Of religion. And, uh, of religion. <laughs> uh, and very quiet and demure. And we were hosting a delegation, a foreign delegation, in a board bia. And I don't know if you know, down at Fairmichael House, there's a, a big courtyard to get in. So normally you get off at the end and there's a huge big courthouse, but the IFA had just decided I had sold them out. Mercur was coming, Mercosur was coming, Brazilian beef was coming in, and they were going, they were gunning for me. And they had a t-shirt, a Brazilian t-shirt, and they were going to put it on me. What? <laughs> they were going to put, so, 
Now, most of them are smaller than me to start with, but anyway. So my special protection officer was apoplectic at the time. Four of us in the car, got into the state car, and we were getting in the back way into Board B. But one of the smart boys in the IFA knew where it was, because mm. he used to park in it himself, and he blocked the road. And my member said to me, Minister, you're to stay in the car and don't move. And the next thing, I get out of the car like a bull in a china shop. I slam the door. He had to get out. The Secretary General had to look after the state car because he had the keys. <laughs> and I said, I am not going to be walked over. And I just faced them down. And I took the shirt off them, and it's in an board via sense. And I told them to frame it. Because <laughs> <laughs> but what I did to them, which... which they were so shocked that I did it. I said, I'm going to meet you two boys in the office at five o'clock and you better be there. Mm. And they were standing there thinking, this is the president of the AFA. And, and I just said that to him and I walked in the door and closed it. Yeah. And I, did he turn up? He did, because Gosh. he was afraid not to. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, because I faced it, God, I love that. I just said, right, <laughs> that's just, that's, that's, that's me sorted. That does sound like fun now. I, I'm very, I'm getting daggers now about the time. Does anybody else want to make a very quick comment or question? Yes, there's a question there. And I'll, I'll take any questions and put them all together to the panel. Uh, can the panel tell us what is the best thing about having political power? Mm, nice one. And was there another question beside you, I think? And then a question up there. I, as I listen to the discussion, I'm, I'm reminded of the Eleanor Roosevelt quote. I think she said that uh, women engaged in politics are a bit like tea bags. You don't know how strong they are until they land in hot water. Uh, so I think we've, it's interesting to hear the, the, the glimpses of the stories of the hot water uh, from you tonight. I thought my question is, Francis referenced earlier, the... Um, the male hierarchies in the system, and I suppose the, there's no stronger male hierarchy than at the top echelons of the civil service. Mm. Um, and I, on the last time I glanced at it, I think only two out of 16 of uh, secretary generals at the moment are female. Um, so I'd be interested in your views of, about how you, how, how as, as ministers or Tanishti, you dealt with that male hierarchy, the permanent government. Thanks very much. And then a question up at the back there, I think. Yeah, thanks. Uh, hello. Um, so my question is about um, women ministers around the cabinet table. And uh, do you believe that with the critical mass of women ministers, like let's just imagine we had 60% women ministers, because I think we get hung up on 40% or 30%. So I mean a serious critical mass. Do you believe that there are different policy decisions that would be made and would you have any thinking about what that might look like? Okay. Got everything and then one final question at the very oh. Uh Do the two Marys who have left the arena have any fresh perspectives for Joan and Francis who are still there? Uh, okay, nice one. And then one final question there. Yeah. Uh, just in terms of what's happening across the water, do you think it would happen to a man had Theresa May has been treated? And what difference do you think would happen? Mm. Those are all really good questions. We're really pressed for time, so does anybody want to volunteer to answer one of those questions? Joan. Can I just go back to, uh, you know, what's, what are the things that are, if you like, most happy that you achieve? Um, I think, like Francis said, it's putting things into legislation. I was responsible way back when I was first a minister for Ireland's first refugee law. Before that, we just had a series of administrative arrangements. 
and uh, subsequently then, um, and I often think I started a mini industry uh, to uh, allow legislation that uh, people like humanists could solemnize marriages and that also weddings could take place. And I remember the word in the law, in the cartilage of a hotel, which extends to the grounds. So any time I go to a wedding, almost all of which nowadays are in hotels, uh, you know, uh, and a, lo a lot of the wedding ceremonies are in hotels. And uh, then the other one was uh, transgender legislation. And, um, you know, there were a lot of people around the cabinet <coughs> found that concept really difficult. And, you know, it had to keep coming back for further explanation because it was a big, dis dis it was a discussion that hadn't been held in Ireland before. So I would say, uh, while there's been some element of the negative, actually there's a huge amount of positive in being involved uh, in politics. I agree with Mary. I think you really have to be into people. I was on the bus this morning uh, coming in and uh, this woman got on and she said, oh, we have a celebrity, uh, me, at the top of her voice to the whole 39A bus. And of course, I was smiling and then she said, and Joan, do you have your tree up yet? Yes. And, uh, you know, and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. And then she said, and, and then somebody else said, oh, Joan, this is a bit like, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. You'll be able to do it now. So, you know, people are really very, very nice. For the odd set of people who are difficult and the stuff on social media, it's, co it's, it's completely outweighed in practice by, you know, communities. Do you know when you see a school being opened, something you've been involved in, uh, when you see some advance being made, when you see people going back into work? There, there's a huge amount of positive uh, if, you know, you, you, but I, I do think you have to plan all the time. What am I doing this week? What am I doing next month? And I also think as well, you do need to try and reach out to other women and women coming through. Because I, I think men maybe are natural networkers in the context of career. Women are natural networkers in the context of community. Mm. Um, so I, I, I do think that's something that uh, people need to be supportive. And maybe sometimes when people irritate them, a little bit forgiving, but supportive of people. And, um, you know, Ireland is changing really, really rapidly. So it does mean that whoever is in government, uh, just going back to the 60% question, yes, it is really important uh, because there are things happening now uh, that uh, we'll need to make decisions about very, very, very quickly. You know, for instance, expanding things like apprenticeships out to more women. <laughs> Um, I was talking to some uh, young women on the bus going to college who were studying engineering, and I forget which college they were in, but it was still about 150 men to about 15 women, and that wasn't bad in the uh, college they were going to. Okay. So we have a long way yeah, to go. I think okay. it's, I'm very glad we're talking about positives, because there are huge positives mm. to political experience, political life. There is tremendous satisfaction, and I have to say, you know, the question about political power what what you know gives you what how would you describe sort of the I forget the exact way you framed it but I mean for me when the children's referendum went through finally that was a source of I, I was just you know it was so satisfying to have seen that process through the night I did the final legislation on marriage equality in the Senate and you had a whole gallery packed with people whose lives would be completely changed 
by that legislation going through. And I could go through so many other, the Child and Family Relationship Bill. I mean, the satisfaction of the work that you do behind the scenes, which nobody sees in terms of the wording of, you know, of the legislation, the changes you make, putting in a definition of consent into the sexual offences legislation, putting the sexual offences bill through. You know, I really believed in that, to get that through and to, you know, there's a whole process you have to, a whole lot of work you have to do working with the Attorney General, working with your civil servants and, you know, so to see that from beginning to end is really satisfying. In terms of the civil service, I do think um, certainly the more experienced I was, you know, the, the, the clearly uh, the, the easier it is in terms of your own priorities and making sure you get them through. I think sometimes you can come across a kind of uh, an arrogance uh, around their view, their experience. And I think that is something that can be, you, you just have to challenge uh, and really work through because there can be an institutional view that a particular approach to something is the right approach. And, you know, it hasn't been questioned. And that can be quite difficult to break through. Um, but I, I think with experience and with, you know, I, I found myself, for example, in justice that I, I created a situation where there were far more partnerships and much more consultation uh, with outside bodies. And, and that was very important. And, I, you know, the, in my senior civil servants, whom, many of whom I thought were really excellent, um, they would say, you've brought a different approach to the way we're doing our work, okay. which is interesting. Now, I'm, I'm conscious that I'm getting real daggers looks now. <laughs> uh, so I'm gonna finish up with two very, very quick questions. Mary Harney, would Theresa May be treated this way if she were a man? Um, possibly, but I, I think there is an element of uh, anti-woman about some of the stuff that's said about her and the way things are done. There's no doubt about that. Mm. Um, my advice, by the way, to the two remaining women as a recovering politician <laughs> is that uh, you never really recover. It's a process. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I, I think um, just to, uh, affecting change is what makes it, is why you want to be there. It's not for the sake of it. It's not an easy life. It is not a, it's a very anti-social life. Um, you know, when I was young and in politics, all my friends were going to discos. I was going to common meetings and <laughs> resident association meetings and the like. So you have to work very hard on the ground. But one of the things I was involved in that I probably, when I reflect, it probably meant more to me was the individualization of the tax code in 1998. Uh, I was very keen that that would happen. There was huge opposition to it, particularly in the civil service, in the Department of Finance, and indeed in elements of the media. Um, and <coughs> elsewhere. Um, and just to put that in context, if a woman went back to work, she started paying tax. She, she effectively was a dependent of her husband and she started to pay tax at the marginal rate. Or indeed, if, if the husband was a stay-at-home and he went back to work. And it was just so unfair. But there was massive uproar about that. I don't, many of you may not remember it, but I can tell you it was really, really tough. And there were huge um, efforts made to overturn it, etc., etc. So... Sometimes in the civil service, if you if you have allies with a particular perspective, it can be difficult to overcome certain things, and that's why I'd love to see more women at a senior level. I think Secretary General Quinn is down there. I haven't got my contact lenses on, actually, but I think she's down there. And if you're only one of two, I'm surprised. I thought there were more, quite frankly. Okay. There were a bit more, and I think that's a great pity because, you know, it's not just in politics we need more women to get balance and better decision making, or certainly more. A more objective decision making. I don't know whether it'll be better, 
but we need it we need more women at senior levels in the civil service and the public service generally okay very final very brief word to mary coughlin any advice for your two colleagues who are still in politics there's life after <laughs> <laughs> Well, that is an absolutely perfect way to end this discussion. Um, my thanks to our four former Tornishes, and I'd like now to call on the President of the Academy to close proceedings.